This week, the comics guys explain Chang Chi. Right, thank you, Ben. Uh, this time, we'll be talking about the master of kung fu himself, Shang Chi. Um, as a bit of a disclaimer, uh, usually when we do these, Darren and I have not yet seen the movie, and we talk a little bit throughout about our predictions based on uh, what we've watched. This time, we have both seen the movie, um, and so we will do a spoiler warning warning at the end, and then we will talk about comparing the uh, comic book origins to the movie itself. Uh, right, we'll save so, all that to, the, to be back into the story. Yep. Um, so, Darren, where do we start with, with Shang-Chi? So we start uh, in 1973 at Marvel Comics. Two of the biggest creators, the most successful creators at Marvel at that time, are Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin. Both are you know, well-known creators of a wide range of characters and, and do a lot of successful stuff for Marvel. And they are also good friends, and they spend a lot of time, you know, like hanging around in the city and spending time at each other's apartments and uh, participating in taking illicit substances together. And they are both big fans of the Kung Fu TV series that has just started, the one with David Carradine. And they're super into it. It's on every Friday night. They get together to watch it, and they get the idea in their head that what they should do is convince Marvel to license kung fu the tv show so that they can make the comic book of it because they would love to write that comic and so they go to roy thomas who is the editor-in-chief of marvel at the time and tell him that that's what they want to do and roy thomas points out to them the unfortunate fact that uh kung fu is in fact a warner brothers production uh and therefore if any comic book is going to get the license uh, to do a kung fu tv series um then it's going to be dc which is owned by warner brothers as opposed to marvel Marvel has no chance of getting permission from Warner Brothers to license anything, basically. Uh, and so they are, you know, disappointed. But Thomas says, what you should do is just make your own character. Uh, you know, create another, you know, Master of Kung Fu type character and, you know, we'll do his story. And you, what you should do, I've been in, Thomas says, I've been in negotiations um, to do more licensed comics. Uh, of like existing you know characters they've had some success they did the 2001 uh, movie license etc they haven't done star wars yet because that hasn't come out but they've been you know successful with licenses and roy thomas has always been a big fan of the fu manchu novels by sax romer of which there are about 15 and we'll talk about them in uh you know like later on in this uh in this episode but anyway thomas is a huge fan of those books. And so he says, well, I would like, I've been talking to the Sax Romer estate about licensing Fu Manchu. And so if you were to create a new character, we could tie it to the Fu Manchu stories. We could reprint a bunch of like the Fu Manchu, uh, you know, like pulp stuff. We could get, you know, do illustrated versions of some of their novels and it would be tied to a modern day character that you could create. And then we would, you know, like have an excuse to do kind of both sides. Uh, so, uh, Englehart and Starlin, neither of whom have read Fu Manchu, uh, basically go back and start that process, and they create a character called Shang-Chi, the Master of Kung Fu. Um, because Englehart and Starlin are the kinds of writers they are, they are, they're, they're certainly happy to do the martial arts crazy violence, you know, but they're, they're, they're more into the philosophy. Right, they're more into the you know like the 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 wandering Kwai Chang Kane character, and kind of you know like the pseudo Buddhism uh, that goes with kind of like the kung fu stories of the time, and so they write a couple of stories that are very kind of like deeply into Shang Chi, you know, philosophizing about the nature of evil and why he must perform all of this violence and why his father Fu Manchu is in fact so evil, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Stan Lee, when he reads it, famously is like, I, you know, picked up this comic thinking it was going to be wall-to-wall chop-socky violence, and how come I've got all of this, uh, you know, philosophizing in it? He was very kind of disappointed with it when he read it. And so uh, there, the, there was an editorial mandate to take out some of the philosophy and put more action in. Um, 
So at that point, Jim Starlin by this time has read several of the Fu Manchu novels now to kind of like catch up to, you know, since they're tying this character to them. And he thinks they're reprehensible. They're, they're just awful. They're racist and he just does not like them. And so uh, by like the third issue of the Fu Manchu comics that they're doing, which are appearing in a series called Special Marvel Edition, uh, issues number 15 and 16 feature Shang-Chi in this, uh, you know, this uh, anthology. It's not even an anthology series. It's just a, you know, like rotating feature series, basically. Um, and so the first two issues introduce this character. And after those two issues, Starlin's just like throws up his hands and says, I don't want anything more to do with this. Right. Like the Fu Manchu edition is not what I wanted. Uh, Fu Manchu, the stories themselves from the 20s and 30s are really kind of racist and they suck and I don't want anything to do with them. So he quits. Um, Engelhart stays with it for a couple more issues. Those two issues of Special Marvel Edition sell really well. Um, hmm. You know, this is a, this is, it, it's right at the right time for this, right? Like a, um, American pop culture is just starting to kind of like get into, uh, you know, like Shaw Brothers movies and that sort of thing, right? Like those have, those have just kind of like started to become popular. Um, and Kung Fu, the TV series, you know, which is, was uh, originally supposed to be a vehicle for Bruce Lee, um, but was kind of like taken away from him uh, by the studios and given to a white actor, David Carradine, which is kind of like one of the most reprehensible things that happened in Hollywood at the time. Um, it's, it's the cultural moment for that, right? Like Enter the Dragon has just come out as a movie. It's, it, it's a great time to be kind of like right at the beginning of the trend. And so those first two issues sell so well that Marvel cancels Special Marvel Edition as a comic and replaces it in the lineup with Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, picking up the numbering, right? So there's no Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, issue number one. The first issue with his name on it is number 17 because he hmm. had starred in 15 and 16 under a different, you know, under the, the name Special Marvel Edition. Starting from 17, that's the first time Shang-Chi has a comic as his own name. Um, Engelhart sticks with it through those first three issues. Uh, actually, it's, it's the first five issues that he works with. Um, since uh, Starlin has left, he's not doing the art anymore. So Al Milgram comes in and does a couple of pieces of art. And then starting with issue number 18, Paul Galassi comes in and takes over the art. And he will stick with this series for almost 10 years. It will oh, basically yeah. become kind of like his defining, uh, you know, kind of like creation, right? Like he works on other stuff, but Shang-Chi is his series stylistically. The, the, the look of the art and everything from it is so kind of like key. It's so, it, Galassi is a very kind of a distinctive artist, and he gives Shang-Chi a very kind of like distinctive look um, that will last well into the 80s uh, for him to be working on it. Um, issue number 19 is the last issue that Engelhart writes of the first of the two guys who created it. Basically they only last for like a few issues between them. Um, in number 19, uh, Shang-Chi meets Man-Thing, uh, you know, the, the Marvel's resident swamp monster, basically um, because Engelhart had always wanted to write a Man-Thing story and he knew he was leaving Shang-Chi pretty quickly anyway. So this was his chance to get one in while he's doing that. Shang-Chi also meets a character uh, in that issue called Lu Sun the Wanderer. And Lu Sun the Wanderer helps Shang-Chi, you know, like battle man thing, and the two of them debate philosophy for basically an entire issue, uh, which is kind of like a middle finger to Stan Lee, <laughs> right? Of like, you know, <laughs> you told us to, uh, you know, that we couldn't have philosophy in it, so I'm just going to have one issue that's nothing but philosophy, just to piss you off, and then I'm quitting <laughs> and leaving, right? Very, a very kind of like Steve Englehart move at that point. Um, but Lu Sun the Wanderer is very clearly drawn to look exactly like David Carradine as Kwai Chang King, right? It's basically, it's like, this is the series I wanted to do in the first place that you wouldn't let me do. Uh, you know, so I'm just going to introduce this one character once, have my character have a conversation with Kwai Chang King, and then I'm pissing off out of the series. Uh, so that happens. Lu Sun the, the, the Wanderer never appears again uh, in the comic, and Engelhart quits. Um, so the next guy who comes in is Doug Mensch. And Doug Mensch has mostly been known at this point in, at Marvel to as a horror writer, right? Like he's done several of kind of like the postcode horror stories. He did Werewolf by Night, 
uh, and, you know, a, a bunch of stuff like that. Um, but he's also, you know, he, he kind of like grasps the concept. He's a Fu Manchu fan as opposed to Starland. He gets why the stories are cool, even if they are kind of racist. Um, and uh, so he kind of uh, comes in and puts his mark on the, on the character going forward. From, the, from that point on, Mench and Galassi will be the team on this comic for nine years together. Uh, which run. is an, an extremely long run for any superhero comic at all, right? Especially it's, at it's, that time. Run seems absolutely. Uh, shorter in the past, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, Claremont was doing X-Men at that point, right? So, I mean, yeah. that's a 12, 13-year run. So it wasn't unprecedented, but it's still, it's a very long time. Mm-hmm. And so Mench and Galassi are kind of like the, the, the creators most influential, the ones who really kind of like set the character. Right. Neither of them was involved in creating the character, but they took over so early that they might as well have. The character really had not been defined yet before it kind of like fell into the hands of these two guys. So everything that we know and love about Shang-Chi as a character from that time period, and I say this as an enormous fan of that run, comes from Mention Galassi, not from Engelhart, not from Starlin, not from Al Milgram, all of whom are listed as the creators of the character. Um Mensch sees what's interesting about Shang-Chi and basically makes the series from that point on into kind of a low-rent James Bond, right? Like uh, uh, Shang-Chi very quickly kind of like gets himself attached to British intelligence and is sent on kind of like spy missions around the world. He travels to exotic locales. He fights, uh, you know, crime bosses and drug dealers and smugglers and very kind of like low-end uh, you know, uh, supervillainy, right? Like, there's not a lot of superpowers in the series. Even though it very clearly takes place in the Marvel Universe, it definitely is at, like, the the bottom of, like, the power level, right? Like, mostly Shang-Chi fights ordinary guys. Um, and he does it in a very kind of, like, James Bond style. Uh, uh, he has uh, two different female characters uh, who are, you know, he, he never quite really kind of, like, gets together with either of them, but there's always, like, flirtation. He has a couple of sidekicks who show up, one of whom is named Clive Reston. And Clive Reston basically reveals over the course of his run that he's basically James Bond's son. We just can't say so. Right? Like he describes his dad, the you know, famous British secret agent who had a license to kill, uh, you know, and was recently retired, et cetera, et cetera, you know, kind of thing. And it becomes clear that like even though we can't say it, we're also tying this character to like the James Bond mythos, basically, right? Um and so there's this whole discussion of like, oh, which one of Bond's women is he actually, is actually his mother, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Shang-Chi also uh, meets the characters, the, the very old characters from the uh, Fu Manchu pulp novels, right? Like the, they, they had, so Fu Manchu had uh, two heroes who were always trying to oppose him in his novels. Um, the recurring kind of like good guys in the series, even though the, the series was about Fu Manchu, the bad guy, right? And he, al- he always needed to be thwarted at the end, even though he was much more interesting than the heroes. Uh, but the heroes are a British agent called uh, Dennis Nayland Smith. And uh, his, uh, his sidekick, oops, sorry, lost a thing here. Um, his sidekick, Dr. Petrie, who is basically the, the Dr. Watson to... Uh, Smith's, uh, Nayland Smith's Sherlock Holmes, right? And uh, Petrie is the guy who is usually the voice telling the stories. So Mensch puts them into the story. Uh, and, you know, they're both like 80 or 90 years old now, but they are uh, still kind of, you know, like providing advice to our young hero as he goes around trying to thwart his dad's various, uh, you know, evil schemes and any other, you know, bad guys who happen to cross the path of, uh, of uh, British intelligence. So these two stay on the run for, like I said, for, for nine years. We'll get into the plots and the stories and everything that go on, but let's deal with the series itself first. While Master of Kung Fu was going on, uh, they, in 1974, realized that that is so popular. And then they've introduced another uh, martial arts superhero called Iron Fist. And between the two of them, those suddenly become two of Marvel's bestsellers. And this is only for a couple of years, but for the couple of years that that fad kind of like hit American pop culture, these two titles are at like the, the top of the line that Marvel is, is putting out. Um, and so while 
Marvel at this point is experimenting with doing black and white magazines, that full-sized magazines, not comic book basically, but like full-sized magazines that are designed to be sold on magazine news racks. Um, that would be, you know, combination collections. They would have comic book stories in them interspersed with text articles and photos and that sort of thing. Um, and so one of the black and white magazines that they experiment with along that time is called The Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. And it is an all-purpose uh, kind of like, you know, like Kung Fu uh, uh, collection of like interviews with Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris or some other, you know, kind of like martial arts guy, articles about the art of martial arts, right? About the actual like process of learning to fight or whatever, interspersed with comic book stories. And the comic book stories um, star, a couple of them star Shang-Chi. So he's kind of like one of the guys in it. And then they also kind of like introduce all of these other assorted uh, like side martial arts characters who will wind up kicking around the Marvel Universe for a while. Uh, uh, White Tiger appears for the first time in a Deadly Hands of Kung Fu story, for example. Um, there are 33 issues of Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, the magazine that come out. By the end of it, uh, it's been kind of like reduced to just reprinting uh, stories from Master of Kung Fu. Right, they're no longer doing new original stories because the sales of it have started to fall off. By you know, nineteen seventy-eight or seventy-nine, kung fu and martial arts was no longer kind of like the hip fad that it had been in the earlier seventies. And so, by the end of that run, there's no more new Shang Chi material in the magazine because it's just reprinting stuff from the comics. It always seems so annoying being a uh, comic book fan back then. How many times did you accidentally buy reprints? Like... <laughs> All the time, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Or if not reprints, then also, um, you know, uh, like fill in stories because somebody was late. Right. You know, something that was like had been sitting in somebody's, uh, you know, filing cabinet for a while. And then somebody misses a deadline. It's like, oh, we got to put in this story now, you know, right. interrupt what you were doing. Uh, so, you know, but but uh, Master of Kung Fu keeps keeps going on as a series. Right there. They have a run of some of the best uh, uh uh, Galici does all the interior art, but he usually doesn't do the covers. Um, and so there are a bunch of good covers by like Gil Kane in the 70s, uh, Mike Zeck, Jim Craig, a few other people. Mike Zeck is kind of the fill-in person in the late 70s every time Galici does miss a month for whatever reason. And he does a couple of times because of just like illness and, you know, scheduling issues like these Marvel had in that time period. If you want to go back to our Marvel uh, history. We can talk about the, you know, uh, the the editorial problems that Marvel was having at the time. Um, so there are several issues in which Mike Zek fills in to do the art just to get something out the door on time. Um, by the early '80s, Master of Kung Fu has fallen off in sales. Like '82, '80, '82 or so is is really the time when it is. Um, and Jim Shooter, who is at this point now the the relatively recent new uh, editor in chief has come in and has promised big shakeups, right? Like all of the titles that are not selling very well, uh, the, the kind of like the bottom of the list, he wants to do something new and interesting with them, give them a big shakeup and, you know, not do the same old stuff that is clearly not selling very well. Now, Master of Kung Fu is intricately plotted, right? There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of kind of like soap opera. There's a lot of, you know, scheming by the bad guys and everything. And Shooter wants to just come in, and the, the first thing he says is, we should kill off all of these supporting characters because they're boring and weird, and it's the 80s, and this feels very dated to me, and I would much rather have like some new interesting thing. So maybe we kill Shang-Chi and make a new character or something, right? <laughs> and Doug Mensch will have none of it. Doug Mensch is so attached to this character now. He's been writing him for nine years and some change, and he's just like, I will absolutely not do any of these things that Jim Shooter is telling me to do. And uh, so the two of them, like, fight very publicly. Mensch is kind of, like, notoriously, uh, you know, uh, willing to go to the press and that sort of thing to, uh, you know, like, have these discussions and uh, spends a lot of time. He is one of the leading voices being critical of Shooter's run uh, being editor-in-chief at this time. Um, by that time, Paul Galassi has had to leave um, for uh, a number of uh, issues. Um, but he had some health problems uh, by the early 80s. And so he had been mostly replaced by a young guy named Gene Day, 
And uh, Gene Day was like the ideal freelancer. He was a kid. He had nothing else going on. He's not married. He doesn't have kids. You know, he's totally willing to work just like around the clock to get stuff done. He's just happy to be here. All he's ever wanted to do in his life is draw comics for Marvel. And here he is in his dream job. And so, uh, you know, he's just absolutely thrilled to be here. So uh, Gene Day gets called into New York City. He gets called to the Marvel offices to have some meetings. And this is over like Christmas, right? Uh, when this story supposedly happens. And this story is told by several different people who tell it very differently. So I am just kind of like reporting the different versions of this. I do not know the actual true uh, story behind this, but Mensch has talked about it. Uh, Jim Shooter has talked about it. Dave Sim, several other people have talked about it. So, uh, you know, here here is the basics of the story. Um, Day comes in uh, and has a meetings in editorial, and Jim Shooter and editorial are upset with him because he's behind, and he's behind for a number of reasons. But they're like, and not only do you have to like catch up with stuff, but we don't like uh, stuff that appeared in the last uh, couple of pages of art that you sent us, and we want you to redo those pieces. And you gotta do them in a hurry. So like, we're gonna put you up in a hotel here in New York, and you just work around the clock uh, to, to finish them, right? And they set him up in a hotel. The hotel, by pretty much everybody's descriptions, is terrible, right? Like Marvel is not spending a lot of money uh, on, you know, like putting their creators up at this point. And so they basically put him in this like horrible flea bag roach hotel. Uh, and Day is horrified by it. Day's like, I can't sleep there. It's disgusting. It's full of cockroaches. It's just miserable. And I'm, you know, I, I, I can't stay there. And according to the story, according to several versions of the story, Shooter basically says, it's there or sleep in the office, right? Like we're not going to pay extra to put you up in a nicer hotel. And so Day chooses to sleep in the office. He comes into the office and um, stays overnight in the office for a couple of days, working basically around the clock to finish the art changes that Marvel wanted for the, for the stories. Uh, afterwards, Day, you know, gets sick uh, individually and then uh, dies basically in early 1983 from like a lung collapse from having pneumonia. Oh. Now... Is it because he spent, you know, these overnight nights like sleeping in Marvel offices? Doug Mensch and Dave Sim both claim that Marvel was not paying to heat its offices overnight, uh, you know, over this time, right? And this would have been December in New York City. It would have been freezing cold in there. Is that what made him sick? You know, is this actually the story? Shooter denies this. Shooter says, you know, like it was perfectly lovely to be in the offices. Frankly, a lot of people slept in the offices uh, at that time. Tom Brevert backs him up and says he's pretty sure that in the 82-83 winter that that was a time when the office was actually being heated at night, though it kind of like famously wasn't at other times. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 the story kind of like remains inconclusive, but the answer is A, Gene Day did die, um, and Doug Mensch basically quit uh, doing um, Shang-Chi in part because he was so upset at Marvel about both about Gene Day dying, but also about, you know, like the, the editorial fights that he was having. Wow. Um, once again, like I said, I, I don't know the true answer for that, mm -hmm. but that was the situation that was working on it. Like Doug Mensch basically quits and goes over to DC and becomes one of their best known and most successful Batman writers. So like he, you know, has a, he has kind of like the happy ending in that he goes to DC, he creates uh, Night Slayer, he co-creates Jason Todd as Robin, um, he's one of the lead writers on Nightfall and Cataclysm and some of the most famous uh, DC stories of the 80s. So he, you know, stays very successful as a writer. Um, Shooter is like, you know, good riddance. I never liked Shang-Chi anyway. I certainly don't like Doug Mensch. So let's just cancel this series. He hires Alan Zelenitz to come in and write the last three issues of Shang-Chi in which Shang-Chi basically like defeats all of the last of Fu Manchu's uh, uh, bad guys and retires. Now, by this point, the Marvel is not using Fu Manchu in the comic anymore because they don't have the license anymore, right? Like Fu, Fu Manchu's name does not appear in any of these comics. 
starting in about 1978, which is the point where Marvel stopped paying for the right to use the name. Right. Um, Roy Thomas never got his, uh, you know, like reprints. He never got his, you know, like uh, uh, Fu Manchu adaptation comics that he wanted to get made, made. Um, and Marvel saw no point in paying any more additional money just to use this character as a villain in one, you know, adequate selling comic, basically. So they just canceled paying the, the bill. And from that point on, Shang-Chi's dad was never mentioned by name, and they kind of, like, worked his, you know, story out, basically. Um, and so uh, Masters of Kung Fu is killed off as a comic uh, with issue number 125. So it ran... Uh, 109 issues, almost all of them by uh, Mention Galassi. And like I said, if you ever, if you have not familiar with them uh, and you have any interest in the kind of like, you know, action, spy, adventure, martial arts type stories, basically what if Bruce Lee went on, J on James Bond type missions on a regular basis, um, uh, then I very strongly recommend them. They're some of the best of that kind of story, pretty much, you know, like ever. Um, so, uh, the supporting cast of the series, like I said, the very first story that Shang-Chi goes out and does is he's assigned by Fu Manchu to kill Dr. Petrie, who was, like I said, from the, from the novels, right? He's the Dr. Watson character of the novels. Um, and in doing so, he kills Dr. Petrie, apparently, right? He succeeds in doing so. He's been trained by Fu Manchu his entire life to grow up and be his dad's number one assassin. And he goes out and he succeeds. However, in the process of that, he then discovers, oh my God, wait, my dad is like the greatest supervillain on earth and is doing all of these evil things that I don't actually like support. And so he, uh, you know, quits working for his dad and changes sides and vows to bring down his father's criminal empire. Uh, it turns out Dr. Petrie isn't actually dead. Um, it's a long and complicated story, but he comes back. Um, Falo Sui, who is uh, Fu Manchu's daughter in the series, um, is, you know, also appears in the series as Shang-Chi's half-sister, uh, though her name gets changed uh, over the course of the run, too, and she's now called Zheng Baoyu. Um, and then... Uh, there are two, you know, kind of like MI6 agents who work with them. We've already talked about Clive Reston, who is basically a mix. He's half James Bond, or he's James Bond Jr., but he's also Roper from uh, from Enter the Dragon, right? He's John Saxon's character in right. Enter the Dragon, basically, in that he's, you know, constantly kind of like in trouble, has a gambling problem, uh, you know, but he's uh, very successful with all the ladies and that sort of thing. Um, we introduce a whole kind of like set of characters. Uh, Sir Dennis is like now old and in a wheelchair. Uh, Black Jack Tar is his bodyguard and kind of like action man that he's sent out and, uh, and dealing with. Shang-Chi has a love interest uh, whose name is uh, 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 um, Leiko Wu. Um, and he's got a rival who is like maybe the other guy who could be the greatest martial artist in the world besides Shang-Chi. Uh, who's called uh, Shen Kui, or the cat, basically. Um, and Shen Kui continues to show up periodically in Cable of Deadpool uh, comics today. He's kind of like moved over to become like a Deadpool supporting character. Um, so we haven't seen, you know, the, the, uh, the, um, the, the series gets canceled in 1983. Shang-Chi basically disappears from appearing in comics at all. Jim Shooter didn't like him thought he wasn't a superhero, didn't think he belonged in kind of like the lineup, et cetera. And so for basically the run, the, the rest of the time that Shooter is editor-in-chief, you almost never see him. Um, he's seen, he shows up in a couple of uh, uh, backstories of Marvel Comics Presents back when that was a weekly title. He got a very kind of like short, limited series uh, in that. Uh, he teamed up with Spider-Man once or twice, but apart from that, he doesn't really like appear. Um, when the Marvel Knights series first starts showing up in the late, is, is created by Marvel in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, Shang-Chi becomes part of the lineup of that. They, do a, they, they bring him back for that, basically. Um, but that part of Marvel Knights doesn't really kind of take off, and his issues don't sell terribly well. Um, Stan Lee's in California at this point trying to do movies, trying to make Marvel movies happen. 
And he actually gets into a very kind of like extended discussion with Brandon Lee about making a movie, making a Shang-Chi movie. And one of the reasons it doesn't take off is that because there hasn't been a Shang-Chi con- uh, comic book in a while, and Brandon Lee and his people and the, the producers uh, of this putative movie aren't sure that like the market is ready for that, right? They're like, if this was such a good idea, how come you're not publishing a monthly comic of this character? And finally, Brandon Lee kind of like breaks it off and goes off to make The Crow instead. Uh, so that's, you know, Shang- the, the Shang-Chi movie kind of like dies basically with the success of Crow. Um, and then, of course, the tragic fate of Brandon Lee after that. Um, in 94, Milestone uh, kind of like is trying to set up uh, a, a, a crossover, kind of like a partnership with Marvel in which uh, while Marvel is basically kind of like handing off its uh, uh, franchises to other people during the time that like the onslaught stories and all of that sort of thing, are, the Heroes Reborn series is happening. Milestone is negotiating to take some of the other kind of like second and third tier Marvel characters, especially those starring people of color, uh, to come be published by Milestone. And so he, the, they are, Milestone is asking to do uh, Heroes for Hire, which would be, you know, like feature Luke Cage, uh, a Photon series starring Monica Rambeau, um, Cyhawk, the character from the new universe, and Shang-Chi. That was going to be the lineup of the first four comics that Milestone uh, was negotiating to take, you know, away from Marvel and do new monthly series themselves. Unfortunately, that entire operation got scuttled, um, mostly by the death of Mark Gruenwald, who was the main guy on the Marvel side who was promoting that idea of like trying to move those characters over and then the subsequent firing of tom defalco as editor-in-chief because the you know he, he was the guy kind of like managing that and when he was fired the new management that came in had no interest in doing um the the partnership with milestone that's a shame that could have been cool that could have been tremendously cool when you look at like the i mean it would have been one of the you know like Dwayne mcduffie was going to work on it a bunch of other cool people were going to be involved in it it seemed like a really cool idea but at one point, we'll read the history of Milestone. It's a it's a cool company. They did a lot. We of absolutely cool, should. Yes, they did a lot of cool comics. Absolutely. So, with nothing better to do with the character, right? Like he is now. It's now the mid '90s, and you know, uh, they they have decided they want to do something with him. I mean, clearly there must be something appealing about the character because people keep asking for him, right? Uh, they kind of like work him slowly back into the mainstream universe. He becomes part of the Heroes for Hire lineup. Uh, he appears in the Secret Avengers. Um, he is frequently shown in the stories to be kind of like a teacher slash mentor type, right? Like at different times, we see him training with Captain America in the Avengers. Um, there's an entire set of Spider-Man stories in which Spider-Man learns martial arts from Shang-Chi, uh, you know, as a, as a character. Um, since we can't use... Uh, Fu Manchu anymore, the name. Uh, his dad is revealed to instead have the name Zheng Zhu. And Zheng Zhu is the name that his dad will have going forward into the movie as well. Um, so uh, Fu Manchu supposedly gets killed off at the end of the Masters of Kung Fu run in 1982. But in the Marvel Knights run, he is revealed to come back and he's actually still secretly alive under the name Zheng Zhu. And then we kill him again in Secret Avengers number 10 uh, back in 2011. So officially in the Marvel Universe, Zheng Zhu is dead and has been so for 10 years in the comics. Nobody believes that's going to last. If Shang-Chi really does kind of like take off, if the movie is, you know, like as successful as, uh, as it seemed to be, um, we have every expectation that a future Shang-Chi uh, series would be, you know, would, would include this character. Um, the movie kind of like also also conflates Zheng Zhu with Mandarin, who in the comics is a completely separate character, uh, who is uh, an Iron Man bad guy. Um, but in the Shang Chi movie and in the MCU, they are basically the same guy, which you know, like more or less makes sense. Well, they wanted to scrub some of the racism off both the Mandarin and Fu Manchu. So right, they- exactly. The, I mean, Fu Manchu, like I said, Fu Manchu. The books run from 1913 to 1959. Right, he writes fourteen novels over forty-seven years uh, about this character, 
And obviously, just from the time period they're in, you can tell there's going to be a lot of elements in this that are not going to stand up a hundred years later, right? right? About you know about this sort of thing. Um, but if you read them today, they are they're still crackling good stories, right? You have to excuse the racism, you have to excuse some of the sexism, you have to excuse the colonialism of the British characters all through this, right? Like it's, you, yes, that's there and you're gonna have to get over it in order to appreciate the, the awesome action adventure stories that they actually are behind all of that, right? Mm. Um, Fu Manchu is kind of like the definitive master villain mm -hmm. of English language, pop culture, you know, stories. He's, he's number one. I mean, Doctor Doom's cool, but Fu Manchu is cooler, you know? <laughs> He is always behind the scenes. He is always manipulating things. The heroes never get a clean shot at him. He has just armies of assassins and henchmen and, you know, uh, 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 who are working for him. He's infiltrated every organization of good guys in the world, right? He never uses, almost never uses guns um, because he much prefers like knives and that sort of thing because his assassins are all like highly skilled. He's also super into poisons and giving people plagues. Like plagues are like a plot of like four of the 14 novels. Um, and his whole shtick is that he's going to restore the glory of China and take over the world, right? Like this is, you know, so that's terrifying. To, I mean, he's the definitive yellow peril character, right? After those- Mind him and him in Mandarin. So yeah, they're similar characters. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Mandarin is absolutely in the comics is a ripoff of Fu Manchu. No question. Yeah. Uh, the Yellow Claw also is, right? I mean, Marvel's Marvel's literally got three different characters, you know, who are all Yellow Peril masterminds, basically, because um, oh, they're they're so useful for story perspective, especially if you don't mind being racist about it. So, right. Since those novels, there have been five more authorized sequels from the Sax Romer estate by other authors. So there's 19 novels of Fu Manchu, plus a whole bunch of unofficial appearances, right? Um, you know, Alan Moore uses Fu Manchu in the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, for example. Um, right. So there's a bunch of kind of like unofficial uses of the character as well. Um, and, you know, so that's where we kind of like leave the character. Shang-Chi continues to be kind of knocking around the Marvel Universe. Uh, he has been, you know, like... Uh, there's been a movie for him planned for quite some time. Uh, basically, every time, you know, like an Asian actor gets any kind of like level of status as a, you know, kind of like young action hero, eventually Shang-Chi gets named as a role he might play. Um, and Simu Liu basically all but, you know, uh, uh, campaigned to get the job in public, <laughs> right? You know, right. like as soon as, as soon as the word came out that Marvel was actually formally considering one for phase four, uh, Simu Liu started tweeting about it, how he should be, uh, he should be the guy be way before he got the job. So yep, called a shot. Absolutely. Which you got to be uh, kind of impressed with. All right. So that's the history of the character. Um, the back half of this, uh, from here on out, uh, this spoiler war. I think it goes without saying we both suggest them, uh, go watching, them. go watch the movie. I think we absolutely. Yes. Um, so go watch that and then come back. We'll still be here. Right. Uh, all right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the movie, too. Uh, spoiler <laughs> warning uh, is in effect from here on out. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in here, a lot of stuff from Thor in here. Yep. Oddly enough. So let's go over the... Well, the first thing... Well, I, I was, was going to say, first familiar. thing is, let's talk about, like, did we like the movie? And I think we both agree we yeah. did. Yeah, um, I, I really liked it. Right. Mm. It is a, uh, it, it, it's, it's interesting. It does a very kind of nice job handling being part of phase four, being part of like, you know, like the post blip reset and everything, uh, you know, integrating that part into the story. It does a very nice use of, you know, San Francisco. Um, it carries a bunch of plot elements that are basically very similar to what Iron Fist was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Right introduction of like Talo as a location and everything is really kind of like replacing Kunlund in the, uh, you know, in the MCU. Right. And so it's like, we, we, we're all so kind of like embarrassed by the Iron Fist TV show that I think Shang-Chi kind of like takes the, takes the advantage of that to just kind of like, 
wipe the slate clean on, on some of that stuff and not require them to ever use Iron Fist again, right? Yeah, I still... Iron Fist is still a character I really like, but uh, this was yeah, just so much series, better than that, than that series. Yeah, the series um, was so bad, I think that it's, you know, like, it, it's left a wound for Marvel that they're not going to come back to it for a long time. Yeah, I think it's going to be a while. Yeah, no, I really liked it. I, I would, uh, you know, me and some of my friends have started uh, tracking, like, a ranked list of where we put all the movies, and I have this one in my top ten um, of the, like, okay. Marvel solo character introduction movies. Um, okay. You know, with that as a, you know, basically a, ca- uh, a category of movie that they do. Right. Um, I, had, I think it's actually maybe one of the best ones. Interesting. Um, I think I, I, actually, I put it square I, in the middle. I don't. I don't quite put it that high. Uh, oh, okay. But it, it's you know, it, it's very entertaining. It's very nice. It's well filmed. The action sequences are all fabulous. The supporting mm-hmm. cast, I think, is fun. Very well put together. Um, okay. And uh, I, I might have liked it a little bit more than you. I liked it about as much as I like like Black Panther. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, I put the other ones. I I kind of think are the best of the the solo character introductions are Black Panther and Doctor Strange. Um, the the only my only real complaint about it is the fact that the, once Trevor shows up, uh, the movie kind of like takes a side detour into silliness, and then takes about a five minute break to introduce like the hot new plush toy for Christmas, right? <laughs> and I'm kind of like, we this movie really could have like used less of this, right? <laughs> like this is very this is the most Disney sequence in a Marvel movie that I have ever seen. Right, it was it was such like a here is the part where we introduce the adorable sidekick character kind of thing. It felt very kind of like jarring to be like, oh right, Disney's in charge now, you know. Um, I get, I get that. I guess for me, I felt like that was I. I would rather that all be contained to like a five minute segment of the, than for the adorable sidekick. Like in him for it to get like a, a decent amount of time in, in that in that scene, then then for it to be like impo- plot important for the entirety of the movie, right? Like I could have seen them do- doing that far less well, right? Um, and you know I'm assuming part of that is like a mandate because that thing is totally useless. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't do anything. <laughs> but uh, I guess it I guess it helps guide them, but like sure, it, sort of. Whatever. It could have been replaced by a map. I, I, all it does is all it is does is be cute, though. It's just yeah, you know. it does nothing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the the scenes in um the final uh, fight is very Kong. kind of like by the numbers. I felt I was okay. I was hoping to have kind of like something a little more interesting than each character gets like a bad guy of their own and like manages to defeat it and come to some sort of you know like. Uh, new awareness of their own self worth or whatever. It, it that almost felt like overscripted to me. Okay. Um. And once again, these are minor complaints, right? Like I'm all I'm. I'm so it totally. It's a B plus A minus movie, and you should totally go see it. So. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I I probably also put it around A minus though. But um. Okay. Yeah. They um. The both things are just not things that annoy me as much. I actually really like that as an ending. So. If we're gonna do, you know, not a like, and and none of the none of the Marvel solo character introduction movies have like really out there ending sequences. They all kind of end in a similar like sort of like, and now I fight the bad guy who is exactly the same as me. Yeah, you know they they all kind of have, have that. To, I have to defeat some evil part of my own personality or something, right? Yeah, right. Like Black Panther has that. Doctor Strange is one of the only ones that has like a different ranking against similar movies, right? I, I kind right. of yeah. do it as uh, a perfectly like serviceable end part for that, and the whole rest of the movie is really good. Sure. Um, and also I I watched it after I watched uh, Black Widow, and I really hated Black Widow, so that. Um, <laughs> that, that helps. <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's let's quickly kind of run through the other characters and everything that appear in this uh, that are you know oh, spoilerifically that are in the movie, and where you can one, go find about more of them. Uh, you know, as we uh, the first one if you were into it, want to know more because they showed him in the in the preview, which I thought was weird. Um, which is the abomination, right? Right. 
like I thought it was so weird that they revealed that in the trailer because that would have been a cool moment to not have. In it would have been a surprise, yeah. It, yeah. it would have been interesting to have him as a surprise. Yeah. Uh, I thought they would at least give him somewhat, like, you know, some actual dialogue or something. Right? Well, once you get the trailer, yeah, I thought maybe he was going to be a character. Right. So the Abomination, Emil Blonsky, um, you know, was the villain of the first Hulk movie. He is a Hulk foe that dates all the way back to Tales to Astonish, uh, number 90, back in 1967. And uh, he is a, you know, spy who, uh, a KGB spy who manages to expose himself to, to uh, gamma radiation and becomes kind of like the recurring evil opposite of the Hulk, right? Like he's, you know, shown up over and over again for the last 50 years uh, as, you know, a, a grosser, more violent, equally strong, you know, like version of the Hulk who gets pitted against him on a regular basis and usually gets his butt kicked. So who else yeah. is in this? We, have, we, we uh, There's, there's a, uh, about a 15 second appearance of Jade Zhu, um, who is a uh, actual like world-class uh, uh, martial artist, a Wushu uh, fighting champion, um, who appears as one of the Black Widows. Like, you know, briefly in that same kind of like extended sequence, we see her. Uh, she's in Black Widow in like the final sequence when all of the agents are out, you know, doing things and uh, kicks uh, Natasha around a bit in the fight. And she shows up again in this movie for about 10 seconds as another person in the uh, in the illegal fighting club, basically. Yeah. Wong obviously also shows up. Wong. Um, yeah, right. We talk about Wong all the time. Uh, yep. for, as far as like the villains go. Um, Razor Fist is a recurring henchman, uh, you know, supervillain who was introduced in uh, Master of Kung Fu uh, in 1981. Um, in, uh, you know, he has his arm is chopped off and is replaced with an actual razor, and he's an actual, you know, martial artist badass who, you know, once again gets beaten up by Shang-Chi a lot. He has also turned up in a bunch of other comics, mostly because visually he looks fabulous, even though the character makes no sense whatsoever. Um, and in the comics, in Heroes for Hire, uh, Colleen Wing cuts off his other arm as well. So uh, in the the, end, the actual Marvel Comics version of him has a razor on both hands, <laughs> which kind of like makes you wonder how he signs his name or brushes his teeth or pretty much anything else, uh, uh, you know. But uh, that that somehow never gets explained. Um, he yeah, has apparently point. been killed several times uh, in comics and comes back every time, usually without an explanation. Uh, Deadpool has killed him, Wolverine has killed him, several other people have killed him, somehow like other writers either forget that he was killed or assume that we forgot and just bring him back for funsies. So, <laughs> uh, The Dweller in Darkness is uh, also a, uh, a one-time, uh, I'm sorry, not The Dweller in Darkness, the, the, the Death Dealer is a one-time uh, Shang-Chi bad guy. Uh, who I think was, is only, like, they only used a Marvel reference in this uh, because they like the mask, um, because the character had nothing to do with the uh, the version that showed up in the comics. Yeah, I really um, thought that character was going to be like important. That's another character I really thought was going to be uh, you know plot important. Uh, right. But they're just like a random person. Right. Who apparently helped train Chang Chi as a kid. I mean, that's yeah. kind of like the main uh, you know like purpose that he serves in the story. But that's a completely different person in the comics. So they kind of once again conflated two characters into one and then kept the interesting looking costume design of, of you know, the, the more interesting of the two of them. Basically. Mm -hmm. uh, the Dweller in Darkness is a, uh, you know, is a uh, Lovecraft Cthulhu Mankei, basically. He's a, uh, you know, uh, a comic book ripoff, basically, of Cthulhu. Um, and he is literally named for an August Derleth Lovecraftian short story. One of the mythos stories, not by Lovecraft, but actually written by August Derleth. Uh, the title of it is, is The Dweller in Darkness, and that's where they took the name from. Um, that story is actually not about Cthulhu or any of those guys at all. It's about Nyarlathotep, but, uh, you know, it's still a cool name. Uh, Dweller in Darkness has turned up. He first appears in Thor, number 229, back in November 1974. Um, but writers very quickly kind of, like, figured out he's much more interesting as a Doctor Strange bad guy than a Thor bad guy. Um, and he's basically one of the demons, the dark demons who, you know, like feeds on human fear and lives in a realm of eternal darkness. And uh, the, in the Marvel Universe, there is an entire kind of organization of uh, creatures, beings like that, who are referred to as the Fear Lords. Um, and they include uh, Nightmare and Despair, 
uh, are two of the others, basically, and they are all recurring bad guys for Doctor Strange, um, and at different times have kind of you know like either teamed up with or fought each other for that. Oh. Uh, I've got a feeling he's going to be related to uh, the uh, oh I just forgot his name. The one who's going to be a villain for um, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, or at least who we think is going for to Nightmare. be. For Nightmare, yeah. Oh, I thought I thought people were, uh, at this point, thinking it was going to be Tentacle Guy. Um, Shumagorath. Oh, uh, Shumagorath. Right, I think he probably will also turn up in it because he's in, the, he's in What If. Yeah, he shows up so much in What If, and they never really, like, explain, <laughs> <laughs> explain it. He just keeps showing up. Right, yeah. So yes, I think that definitely is laying some groundwork. I think Shumagorath will definitely be. Uh, yeah. And if they're going to create an entire, you know, kind of like sub-Lovecraftian mythos in the Marvel Universe, sure, why not? We've been doing that for 50 years, like I said, in the comics. So Yeah. Oh, last uh, thing, we didn't really touch on it. What did you think of Mandarin, Zhang Zhu? I thought his you performance know, was tremendous. I, I yeah. very much liked the actor. I think the, the part was very cool. Um, I was entertained by the whole, uh, you know, idea that like the mandarin as an identity is something that like was only adopted because it scared white people right yeah. i think that the idea that like they all thought it was funny and even make the joke of like why would we have a bad guy named after an orange <laughs> is you know it was a funny line and a funny bit and kind of like helped play off the whole the iron man unfortunateness of the you know of the Trevor lottery uh version of the character Right, it mm-hmm. like managed to kind of like maintain the organization as being interesting, uh, the Ten Rings as a group as a, as being interesting, while helping to kind of you know ameliorate some of the racism problems inherent to the character. So, yeah, um, when we establish that the Ten Rings actually are you know like contacting somebody from outer space uh, at the end, and the whole you know like post credit sequence of like you know we think it sent a message or something out there. Um, I can't help but wonder if, it, it, once again, in the comics, the Ten Rings are from the planet McClue uh, as a weapon that, uh, you know, is picked up from, um, you know, picked up by the Mandarin to use that kind of like makes him the equivalent of Iron Man in the fight. Um, and we know in the Marvel Universe, one other, uh, you know, uh, former resident, one other person from the planet McClue, which is Fin Fang Foom. <laughs> and so when we did not get Fin Fang Foom in the movie... Uh, in this movie, I can't help but wonder just maybe he's still out there, <laughs> right? If like we're sending a message off, uh, you know, to the planet that the the Ten Rings are actually from, maybe there is still a hope at some point that uh, Fin Fang Foom will in fact actually turn up in the MCU somewhere. I I, I was hope. both thinking Fin Fang Foom, and after uh, and I guess maybe we can talk more about this, um, you know, after the next after the next one of these episodes, because um, we're we're talking about another uh, movie next. Um, but I was thinking he, uh, that they're related to some sort of celestial. Uh, entirely possible. Sure. And because they've got a lot of plot threads at this point, you know, Marvel Phase Four. Um, and I'm I'm very interested to see how they start pulling, start trying to tie all this stuff together by you know Phase Five, because right. I'm just assuming they will. They they have. A, I was going to say they've got a lot of rope with me, having pulled off you know Phase Three, which by itself seemed like an impossible task. Oh yeah. Um, this again seems like an impossible task to kind of like pull all of this stuff together, but I've been wrong before, so I am giving them every chance to, you know, like show mm-hmm. they can do it. So Yeah. Like you said, maybe better conversation for next time. There's your little teaser. Right, we'll exactly. On the join next us one. next week. Yeah, and speaking of, like you said, join us next week. Um well two weeks because we're we're a bi weekly show. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I've been Steve Tasker. And I'm Darren Watts. Have a good night. Thanks for coming. This week, the Comics Guys explain Shang-Chi.